Welcome to the VO School podcast. Each episode is devoted to a different facet of the voiceover industry, building your knowledge towards a comprehensive understanding of the art, craft, and business of voiceover. We are joined by some of the industry's biggest and most successful players who share their journey and the secrets to their success. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 32 of the VO School podcast. And today we're talking about e-learning, corporate narration and industrials. Now, I should say that we're focused mainly on e-learning in this episode because it's a really growing and expanding area of this industry. And it's something that isn't talked about quite as much as other genres because it's not quite as glamorous as maybe video games or TV commercials or something like that. Um, But we go deep. We really cover this and we talk about the differences between e-learning, corporate narration, industrials, and uh, how to get this kind of work, what you need to do to compete, and what skills you need to have, etc. And I'm thrilled to be joined by Christy Bowen and J. Michael Collins, who lend their extensive expertise to this episode. So thank you to them. I should also announce that we have a very exciting event coming up. And it is going to be a live panel discussion at Opera America on 34th Street and 7th Avenue in New York. And we're going to be discussing the future of voiceover. By now, the panelists may have been announced, but as I record this, this isn't completely locked down. But keep an eye on social media and our website for further details. Also, next week, we'll be doing our Zoom session on this episode's subject, which is e-learning, corporate narration, industrials. And we're going to have an in-depth chat about what we talk about today. And there's opportunity for you to ask questions and get direct feedback. I don't think JMC will be joining us because it'll be the middle of the night in Europe, which is where he lives. Um, But I'm hoping maybe Christy can, and I'm certainly going to bring in some people who do this kind of work extensively. So that will be great. And last week's one, which was fantastic, um, we talked about studio connectivity, which was the subject of the previous episode. And Kevin Leach and Tim Friedlander, as well as Emmett Andrews, joined me for that. And we also had a large group of Patreon supporters who joined us. And we had a really, really great in-depth, sometimes extremely geeky discussion on uh, studio connectivity and all of the different options you have. So it's a real opportunity to dig down and follow up on the episode. To join us next week for that, you can visit our Patreon site, patreon.com slash voschool. Become a patron, doesn't matter how much you support us with, and you'll have access to the Zoom session. Um, Visit us at voschoolpodcast.com for all the social media links, And I think we're done. So we'll have a couple of quick ads and then we'll get into our interview with Christy and J. Michael. The National Zoo. Because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Connect your studio to the world with IPDTL. IPDTL is a cost-effective alternative to ISDN without the need for hardware or line rental. Connect, mix, and record up to four locations at the same time, including phone patch, right from your computer. You don't need additional software as IPDTL runs in your browser, and you can even get your own ISDN number. Try a day pass for just $15, or subscribe monthly or yearly. So, for directed sessions, interviews, and of course, podcasts, choose IPDTL. Right, today I am joined by Christy Bowen and J. Michael Collins, and it's a pleasure to have them. And we're talking about e-learning, industrials, corporate narration, and all that not-quite-sexy side of the VO industry. (laughs) So, (laughs) welcome to you both. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Jamie. Pleasure to be back. Yes, it is a pleasure to have you both in. And... Let's start off by defining the terms a little bit. So e-learning, corporate narration, industrials, they tend to get 
these terms tend to get banded around a fair amount, but they're they're different animals really. So let's start off by defining what they are. So Christy, you're you really mm-hmm. specialize in e-learning. So why don't you tell us a bit about that? E-learning is mostly defined as training and educational content that can be perform that can be, I guess, received through any kind of mobile device, computer learning, and it is all designed to change someone's behavior. Mm. That doesn't necessarily mean a, in a bad way. Yeah, it could nefarious. just mean Yes, exactly. <laughs> the idea behind e-learning My needs changing. <laughs> yes, yeah. So does mine many times. Um, but changing someone's behavior in whether it is um, living by you know, the company's code of conduct, uh, changing uh, sexual harassment's a big subject. Those mm. are kind of things you normally think of. But it can also just be changing behavior of um, doing sales techniques. If you're a salesperson and it, you're within a medical company, let's say, and it's how to uh, work with the device better when you're approaching your clients and potential doctors to sell that device to. So it's changing behavior in maybe the way you approach them. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a good thing. But all most e-learning is designed to change someone's behavior, and it's going to be measured by the company in some form or fashion by the uh project that they've put together and, and whatever form it takes to get to the learner. And it's mostly internal corporate communication. There is, you know, uh, public-facing e-learning, but that's a much smaller amount of the business. Most of it is internal corporate communication. Yeah, we're not talking broadcast or anything like that. Here. Right, we're talking, correct. Yeah, okay. And yeah. so, J. Michael, how does that differ from corporate narration and industrials and things like that? Well, corporate and industrial, and you can throw an explainer to that group, too. Right. Um, the difference between them and e-learning is that corporate and industrial and explainer generally have some sort of promotional or sales focus. Now, that's not always the case. You will have internal uh, videos, internal presentations that are meant to um, illustrate a concept or demonstrate a new technology or whatever it may be that the company is trying to accomplish to a group of people. But just broadly speaking, I would say maybe 80 percent of corporate corporate uh, industrial explainer content. By the way, apologies in advance. I'm a little raspy today fighting a cold. So if you have any hacks or I sound <laughs> like a lawnmower, um, that, <laughs> that is why. I'll do my uh, best with RX. But, <laughs> but with corporate and explainer, generally there's going to be some kind of a promotional focus or a sales focus. Um, and again, sales, you know, it's a broad term. We can use the term promotional might be more accurate, mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. the biggest difference. With e-learning, we're not trying to sell something. We're not trying to promote anything. Typically, um, the purpose of that is to train. And is uh, is corporate narration slash industrial basically their synonyms of each other or are they? Those, those two are. I, you yeah. can, explainer to me also is a subgenre of corporate or industrial narration. Um, yeah. The exception being that if you if you go with a real cliche, um, archetypical explainer videos, you're those, you know, this is John or yeah. Sally, yeah. Um, yeah. that kind of stuff. It's uh, which, which a lot of them are still written that way and they can be very playful and very goofy. Um, to me, that almost lives as a little bit of a subgenre. That's, right. that's its own style, but they, at the end of the day, they tend to serve similar purposes. Right. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. almost commercials. Some, some, they can sort of get yeah. close. And of course, cor- cor- Corporate industrial is, I mean, it's it's a huge, broad field that, I mean, I'm just scratching the surface by saying it's generally promotional. It covers everything from internal to website content to B2B to kiosks at the trade shows and, mm. you know, a hundred other applications. So it's, it's quite a broad thing. Yeah, because it can be uh, corporate communication. Some of the things I've done are internal to the company itself. It's still right. corporate communication. They're cor- communicating within the company itself, and it, and many of them have a sales aspect even within the company. They're selling whatever the thing is within the company itself, but it is still extremely sales oriented, even right. though it will never be seen by the public. It's it's a, there are all sorts of different genres within corporate and industrial. Yeah, and you hear the term industrial more in the union world don't you i mean that's that's more of a term mm-hmm. that's used in the union world and corporate narration outside of that and um going off on a slightly slight tangent here industrial in the union world can be categorized in there's two categories for it one that is definitely not public and one that has a public element to it so that's that's even more confusing yes. that added to a layer of complexity um Okay, so we've defined the terms. Now, I'd like to talk about 
how you guys work specifically um, before we dive into the subject itself. So, Christy, what percentage of your work is this genre of the industry compared to commercials and other stuff? Oh, boy. I'd say probably about 75%. Yeah. Is that by design or did you sort of fall into that? Um, I fell into it. I think I fell into it, but I stayed there because I liked it so much. There are other things I do. I really enjoy political work, you know, for commercials, and I, I do a lot of phone things, uh, a lot of you, phone you work. You have a really good demo, by the way, for political. Yes, I have a wonderful demo. Produced <laughs> Who by produced home, that? <laughs> Let me think about that. <laughs> but I mean, those are, and I, I love automotive as well. And so that falls, that gets me my commercial bug that I, I enjoy right. doing. And, you know, when people say to you, oh, you're a voice actor, whatever I heard you on, you know, right. I can answer those things. But I, I really enjoy more the corporate internal communication. Mm. It's just something I, I did fall into it accidentally in a way, but I just stayed there because I love it so much. How did it's you fall into it? It's just something that I'm comfortable. Um, I had received a, this is kind of funny, I had reached out to, this is kind of before Facebook was really big in the groups and things. Mm. Um, the university I went to, University of Florida, go Gators, um, <laughs> they started their own kind of Facebook style thing called uh, GNN, Gator Nation Network. And I had uh, posted on there, you know, on the alumni page and people were like, hey, what do you do? What services do you offer? That kind of thing. And I said, hey, I'm a voice actor. And I started there at University of Florida. That's where I got my training. And, and I had two people reach out to me and say, hey, we use voice actors all the time. And they're mm -hmm. both still clients, um, one of whom is a huge, enormous e-learning corporation. And they hired me to do something, and I haven't quit, and that's been six years later. Right. In fact, I have to record after we finish this. I have to record for them. Um, so it's just it's one of those things that it just happened. And I started working with them, and they were such great clients. And it just it felt natural, and I really enjoyed the work, and I just kept going with it. Yeah, And it just great. built. Okay, what about you, Jay Michael? How did you get into this line of work? Well, it's funny because I, I really was very much broadcast uh, for the, the first half of my career or so. Um, did the occasional industrial coming through agents. Um, really hadn't touched e-learning probably for the first 10 years I was in the business. Uh, and for me, it was, you know, it, it, sort of like a lot of things in my career. It flowed from finding the do-it-yourself world of voiceover about 10 years ago uh, as technology started to change things. And it exposed me to work that I had never really considered before before um mm. and then i then i realized how much it paid and i wanted more mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yes. yeah absolutely well actually this leads on to my next question or maybe this is more of a statement than a question but as i said at the beginning this isn't really a particularly glamorous side of the industry but it can it's got some real uh positives to it you know you can have that almost nine to five approach to a, the job because there's mm -hmm nice predictable regular income and it can be quite lucrative so christy why don't you talk a little bit about that and how that differs from other parts of this industry to me the biggest thing about e-learning and the secret to it is the fact that it is continuous work mm. they are e-learning no matter what no matter how well written an e-learning script is that comes to you you will always have changes because right. there are so many pieces to the puzzle of e-learning and it take it is a, a very long process to create an e-learning module we're the last almost the last piece so once people finally hear it after spending months sometimes on it you know there are so many stakeholders that once they hear something because they have to actually hear it instead of reading it with their eyes what happens a lot is they come back with yeah that didn't sound like we wanted it to or we changed everything to be from a button to a dial, you know, just right. how they create the learning itself. So you have to change everything that you said that has the word button in it to dial. So therefore right. that's, you know, and you get paid for that because that's their change. So not mm. only are there changes after they hear things, but sometimes just changes in general. Sometimes it works so well. They've done their job really well. So have you that they want to expand. They're like, hey, we really, we tried that. We loved it. We got the, the ROI, you know, that we wanted on it. You know, our, our learners learned really well and things are changing so now we're going to do 10 more courses and we want you to do all of them so it's just this to me the biggest and the most amazing thing about e-learning that a lot of people don't realize is it's constant steady work 
between yeah. revisions. And just once you get on with a client, you're seen as a vendor for them. You're seen as a partner in their creation. And sometimes they have you in their head when they're writing things. Right. And therefore, they want you to constantly do their work for them. And once they find you, it's too much work to find somebody else. They just go to you. <laughs> and it's it's yeah. wonderful. I, that's what I love about the business. You develop a real relationship with your with your clients. Yeah, has that been your experience too, Jay Michael? Very much so. And I, you know, I, I always tell people that today I would rather have a new e-learning client walk in the door for the first time than a new national broadcast client because that national broadcast client, they're going to pay me more in the first six or nine months probably, uh, but then they're going to find somebody else in most cases. They, mm-hmm. they just don't stay with you forever. I've had e-learning clients that I've been working for now for eight years. Um, and they just, they come back with tens and tens and thousands of words of content. Um, and the pay and e-learning is, is, is really staggering. If you're proficient, if you're good at it, and if you can fill a lot of your day with it, um, it's, it's next to filling your days with broadcast work. Um, you know, again, at the national level, there's really not anything that's much more lucrative in this business. Yeah, there's not. It's great. And when you say a client there, Jay Michael, do you mean the end product uh, the end company that's using your product or are you talking about production houses and or combination? Um, whomever whomever hires me sometimes that's the uh the actual company that's using the product uh sometimes it's an e-learning production or development company um hmm. less frequently is it a traditional production company and almost never uh an ad agency or a talent agent some exceptions but that's pretty infrequent mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and is that sort of the split with you too christy Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'd like to talk about exactly the process now. So if someone was to email you, um, how does the negotiation and then going on to actually performing the work, how does that play out? Um, presumably you'll get the script and you know get an idea of how long it's going to be. Are you prepping before you launch into reading and... Uh, are you setting out the terms for pickups and all that kind of stuff? How does that work, Christy? For me, the first thing I do is, you know, if they don't send me a script to begin with, a lot of times when people reach out, they want to know kind of how, how do you work? What's the, you know, your process, I guess you'd say. Yeah. And some people have done it before and some haven't. So, you know, I ha- handle that accordingly. Um if it's a new person who's maybe never really done this and they want to start to use professional talent because they've only done in-house, I, you know, and I do this for most of my clients anyway. I just explain the process of how I work. Um, mm. I, I ask for a script so that I can give them an accurate quote. Um, you know, tell I explain to them how long things take. Uh, you know, kind of the formula of for one hour of content, it takes me anywhere from two and a half to three hours to do it depending on the complexity of the the, the work. Um, other times, because they don't understand how long it takes to do things, um, so I try to educate them on that. We talk about pickups and changes, and I do have a policy for that that I send out. I actually have it all kind of written out into a document so that I can just attach it to an email and I don't have to keep writing the same thing over and over again. You know, it's just a way to increase right. workflow, you know, just make it faster. Um, but I, you know, I discuss the the rate with them. A lot of people want to, you know, there's so many ways to do e-learning rates. There's per word, per finished minute, you know, mm. flat rate. I mean, there's a, there's many. Um, but I explain the two ways that I generally work, especially depending on how they've approached me. And you can gauge that by the wording of how they've, you know, mentioned things. Um, and we go from there, talk about the rate, talk about you know what format they want the files in, do they want them you know named and split out, um, all those kinds of things, what their responsibilities are, what mine are, and then how accessible they're going to be for questions um, as far as as I get into it. Because one of the things you asked was, do I pre- read everything first? Honestly, no. I mm. scan it <laughs> to yeah. you know to make sure that there aren't too many, you know, acronyms or unfamiliar pronunciations or, you know, how, and I answer the, I ask the simple questions of um, how do you like your date set? Is it 2018 or 2018? And, you know, certain acronyms if they're not spelled out. Yeah. Um, and if they're a new client and haven't really done this before, I'll say, you know, when you do send me the script, I'd prefer you to, you know, spell out any acronyms or anything, you know, company names and names and dates and that kinds of things. So before they get it to me and they know that that's coming, but I don't really read all of it first. I 
you know, scan to get a general idea because I do have to know who I'm talking to. And I ask those questions as well, like you would with any script. Yeah. But we we just kind of go through that you know, initial process to kind of make sure that we're both on the same wavelength. They'll ask me questions. I'll ask them questions. And then we get started. Um, it's just kind of a, a workflow process I've developed that seems to, to work really well. Yeah. And is that pretty much the same for you, JMC? I think that's very, very similar to what I do. And I the, the pre-reading point is important because you're not going to pre-read 50,000 words of, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> sales sales techniques for medical device manufacturer sales representatives. Yeah. It's, um, it's not, you know, I, I, when I teach e-learning, I always tell people it's not an audio book. You don't Mm-mm. need to know how the story ends to, to understand the characters to move through it. Right. You just need to have a general idea of what the content is, whether there, you know, is a level of complexity that you feel that you um, need to address with the client in terms of whether that's a pronunciation guide or um, if there are specific terms that they need to clarify. You know, some of the most challenging ones are when you get scripts that have a lot of notation or equations in them right. that maybe you're not familiar with. And, yeah, you know, we, I, yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think those of us who, who work extensively in e-learning, um, there's, there's sort of a presumed level of competence yeah. on the part of the client for, for the e-learning talent. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're starting to get any th- into things that are above, you know, undergraduate level work, uh, you know, content, um, it's reasonable to, unless you, unless you're advertising yourself as specializing in medical or specializing in finance or specializing in mathematics, but if it's generally learning and then you're getting into very complex terminology or notation, um, then a little help from the client is generally appreciated and, and expected. Yeah. yeah. They've never, you know, many times they'll say to me, well, we'll talk to the SME, the subject matter expert. You know, they'll say, let me pass that off to them. And that's one of the things right. I tried to tell people is that when you're approached by a client, answer them as quickly as possible and scan that script as quickly as possible. Because if there are things you need to know, sometimes the person you're in contact with is not the person who actually has the answers. Right. They're they're the intermediary and the subject matter expert is the person they have to go to to get the exact information. And sometimes that person is not always easily available. And, you know, they it, or it takes a little while to turn that information around, but you can't get started until you get that information. And then, you know, that right. delays the process because a lot of times in e-learning, they, um, they like to, because we are kind of at the tail end of the process, they need it now, like everybody else, but they need it now. But their problem is with needing it now is that they're, you know, 50,000 words, and that's, you don't do that now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you do that over a series of days. And, yeah. but, well, you, know, you do, if, but you charge a premium. And you charge a premium, <laughs> yes. yes. But it's one of those things that you you do have to ask, uh, you know, be on it fairly quickly to be asked the, able to ask those questions to make sure the process works for everybody's time period. So it, it's, yeah, lots of people involved. So when you have a word, say you're doing a medical narration and it's, you've you've Googled it and you can't find a consistent pronunciation, how, how do you get that pronunciation? Are they sending you audio files, voice memos? Uh, oftentimes, yes. I'll, 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 I will ask. I'm not shy about asking. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always feel it's um, better to ask if you don't know and uh, and get the right answer, even if it you know risks coming across as not being. Uh, uh, totally aware, uh, but uh, nevertheless, you know, better to do it right with guidance than to do it wrong and submit it. So I'll ask, and yeah, very often clients will send an audio uh, recording, a little note, uh, audio note to give you some guidance on pronunciation. But mm-hmm. you, you'd be amazed, though, that you can find pronunciations for most things these days online. There are not that many I run into, even fairly complicated medical terms where I can't ultimately find them if it's something that I don't know offhand. Right. Yeah. What are your resources, Christy, for finding pronunciations? Merriam-Webster is one of my favorite. They have a medical mm-hmm. part to it um, that I actually spent 18 hours this past weekend doing nothing but medical narration. And I had Merriam-Webster open on, you know, the whole time because I just go back and make sure I was pronouncing something correctly. Uh, I did that a lot. Pronounceology, which is a new website that has a lot of pronunciations. YouTube is fantastic. Mm. Um, you know, there are a lot of doctors uh, doing things and, and nurses. And th- there's all sorts of presentations that are that take place that people record and post on YouTube. And it has the people pronouncing the words. So, you know, YouTube is another very, very big you know, lifesaver for me. Yeah. 
And I was talking to someone about this the other day, actually, and they were talking about that. And it's always the case that the word you're looking to hear is always the last minute of a 14-minute video. Yes. <laughs> you have to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> so frustrating. <laughs> it, it, that does happen. Yeah. Um, so this may be a slightly impertinent question. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, but how flexible are you on rates and what are the variables? You jokingly said a minute ago that if they want it turned around quickly, the rate goes up. Um, mm-hmm. But what are the variables for, for working with a client on rates? Or do you have fixed rates, Jay Michael? Well, I, I like, I like uh, obviously, just like in any negotiation and voiceover, if you can get them to put their cards on the table first, that's always helpful. So mm. if they walk in with a rate or I can say, you know, what's your budget on this um, and get a clean answer, without having to show my cards first. That's that's always nice. And then we can negotiate from there if it's too low. Um, I'm surprised sometimes when, when I throw the what's your budget question out there that the rates come back sometimes not just fair, but sometimes more than I might quote. So uh, it's um, it, it's a good technique to at least put it in on them first. Uh, if that's not possible and you have to quote, the biggest thing for me with e-learning is the complexity of the material. Um, right. I always think about, and I am a per word guy if I can be. Um, I, it just makes the most sense to my brain to charge on a per word basis. Um, yeah. Again, unless you get into a script that's got a lot of notation or equations where something that Microsoft picks up as one word is actually five words, then that per finished hour, or per finished minute makes more sense. Mm. But generally speaking, if I go per word, um, I'm looking at complexity. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how much time it's going to take me to do that module. And I, if you give me a garden variety module, you're average everyday module. Um, that's content that I can narrate somewhere typically between 8,000 and 10,000 words per hour of actual seat time. And I have a team of editors who do all the outside editing for me. So I'm not worried about that time. I'm looking at that as basically an hour of work. Um, if you're getting into extremely complicated medical narration, my output's going to drop down to about 5,000 words per hour. Um, at mm. which point, I'm spending more time on their content, which means I need to charge more for it. So um, what are fair ranges out there? Uh, you know, if you're getting 20, 25, 30 cents per word, I think you're in in pretty good shape. Uh, every now and then you'll get a, a real lucky one where you're getting up to 50 cents per word or more. Um, and I, I have done jobs where I've gone down to 11, 12, 13 cents per word if the volume has been substantial. I'm talking, you know, 50, 100,000 words plus. And usually if it's below 15 cents, I'm I'm really requesting that they take fully raw audio with absolutely no edits, including all of the outtakes. And they do all of that on their end. Right. Yeah. And Christy, is that a similar approach that you take or? It is. I fall more in the uh, per finished minute category, but I do per word for many clients. Um, it just depends because sometimes with per word for me, with the clients that I've got for the the topics we've been doing, they have so many changes that happen over time just due to the nature of what it is. And, you know, it's like a few sentences here and there and I have to keep billing them for like, you know, $12.32. It's like that just gets annoying right. to me. Well, that's, where minim- that's where minimums yeah. come in. Yeah, Where minimums come in, yes. But uh, for most of my clients, you know, per finished minute. But, yeah, I mean, I do, I do it every way that, you know, there is to calculate it and and most of the time rates, you know, are something that I, I just spell it out for the client. And most of the time they don't have a problem with it. There are times they do. There are times people say, wow, that's a lot more than I was expecting. And, you know, mm. there is some flexibility, again, depending, like J. Michael said, you know, the the complexity of the script, how fast they need it, um, how, you know, if there's a chance that this is something that could go longer with this client. And, you know, it just, it really depends on the length of time it takes to do it based on the content that I've given gotcha yeah all right great so let's go down and look at what kind of skills you need to do this job so christy what what skills do you think are most important to do e-learning and this kind of genre really particularly well first instinct on that is being a good cold reader because like we discussed before you don't pre-read a lot of the scripts you're given especially if they're 35 40 you know 50 pages you have to be really good at cold reading to be able to get through that and make, you know, make sure that the amount of time you're spending on it is is good and you're not having to edit too much. Yeah. But my other biggest thing that I tell people all the time is you have to think like a business because you are 
marketing and you are working for other businesses. Mm. Unlike a lot of, you know, you're not working with creative ad agencies and creative directors and, you know, you're not doing animation where it's all acting and stuff. I mean, while there is obviously it's still voice acting no matter what genre you're doing, but the whole mindset of doing e-learning is business to business. And to me, that's the biggest thing that people have to understand. You have to be a good business person because the people who you're going to be communicating with are all business people. Right. They have, you know, multiple layers above them. It's it's corporate. It is answerable. You know, there have to there is ROI for this project that they've spent tons of money and time on. And therefore, you have to act like a business in the way you invoice, the way you communicate with them, the way you deliver your product. Everything is about business to business with this. That's that's my biggest thing about that. You have while you can be, you know, very creative and, and have fun being a creative voice actor. You also have to have a very good business sense to do this job and do it well. Yeah. J. Michael, any, anything to add to that? Yeah, well, I would agree with that. Uh, I think that's, that's very important. And I would just into the actual performance side, two things that I think are essential. One is um, simply proficiency in reading. And, uh, you know, Christy talked about being a good cold reader. But uh, in addition to that, um, simply being someone who doesn't make a lot of uh, mistakes, doesn't have a lot of pickups, doesn't have a mm-hmm. lot of doesn't leave a lot of uncorrected errors for your editors and hopefully not for the clients to sort out. Um, if you're, you know, I, 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 I when I coach e-learning, I've got kind of a statistical-based approach when we look at proficiency. And if you have more than five or seven pickups per page, you're starting to slow yourself down. If you have more than one uncorrected error, well, frankly, if you have more than one uncorrected error every three or four pages, you're starting to slow yourself down because each one of those, when your editor kicks it back to you, is going to take a minute or two to fix. So if you've got a a 30-page module and you've got an uncorrected error on every page, you may be adding an hour to the amount of time that you've actually spent working on that project by the time you do all of those little fixes. Um, right. The other thing that I, I think don't it does not get mentioned enough uh, for e-learning, um, and uh, this, uh, you know, I want to say this without sounding like it's a nose in the air kind of thing, but that is, um, you've got to be relatively well-educated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do. If, if, if you don't know college level words um you're going to struggle in this and i've seen a lot of people who are are got great voices and you know and can read and can move through copy and just mispronounce or don't understand a lot of what they're reading simply because maybe they just haven't been exposed to to that level of content before um and and that can cause struggles so it's not right for everybody so you have you have to sort of have an understanding of the intention of the line. You don't necessarily have to understand the the content per se. You don't have to understand what's going on medically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You should you should have you should have at least a. I mean, I, I think people with well rounded uh, educations have at least a, a layman's knowledge about many and and most subjects that they're mm-hmm. going to encounter. Not all, but but many. And so they're we're able to kind of process. Um, uh, the, the concepts behind it, even if we don't aren't familiar with all of the details. Mm. Right. I do something for a very large accounting firm, and there are times I'm like, "What did I just read?" Yeah. You know, I'll go back again. <laughs> it's just because, especially with the, I literally had a seven lines sentence. It was one sentence, but it it took up seven lines. It was ridiculous. But <laughs> you know, I mean, if you, but you have to understand enough of what you're reading to make it make sense because you have to know where the emphasis is, what to stress, what not to stress, what's changing within, you know, within the content. Mm. And that's a lot of part of what you're doing in e-learning too. The reason there are different modules is to stress different points that the client is trying to make with whatever it is. And sometimes it's because something is all new. So you have to know what was new before, you know, what, what has changed. Yes. And that all, those clues are all hidden in the copy. And if you, you have to be smart enough to find that and understand that. And it, it's, it does take a, a certain level of uh, exposure to many things in life, whether it's, you know, you, you watch certain TV shows, you're into documentaries, or you're into, you know, certain, you read a lot, that you're, you know, you're at least well-rounded in your knowledge and education that you can approach a a subject and say, yeah, you know, I feel comfortable enough with this Mm. that, you know, 
it, it also requires a, a great deal of, of discipline um, and the, and endurance. Um, mm-hmm. You know, much like audiobook editors have or audiobook uh, VOs have. Um, it's you know, it can be marathon sessions, and you have to be able to keep yourself in, in psychologically in a frame of mind that stays engaged, where your read is still interesting to the listener. Because if you're boring, then the effectiveness of what you're teaching and what you're reading is is going to be zero. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 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 ability, you know, Christy talked about fifty thousand word modules. I have had clients come in and say, "Hey, you know, we understand you can't edit fifty thousand words necessarily in the next twelve hours, but we know you can record it, and we've got a team standing by. So, can we have that about eight hours from now? And it can be done, you know. Yeah. But you've actually got to sit there for five, six, seven hours in the booth and uh, and make sure that your focus doesn't wander and you don't see a squirrel and and go off and think about <laughs> something else. So it's it's tough. It is. Yeah. The one good thing about e-learning, though, is normally it is broken up into modules. So there are natural breaks within it. Right. You know, there are sometimes the different topics. Some, you know, you're like, okay, like, for instance, I had 18 medical modules this weekend. They were all different, completely different topics, you know, similar but different. And it was like, okay, I'm, I'm done with that one. Now I move on to this one. That's kind of neat. This one's fascinating to me. Uh, okay. You know, so you yeah. you do get that mental break, but you still have to keep going and you still have to make maintain because all of them eventually are going to be heard, you know, mm-hmm. as kind of a unit, even though they may not be heard at the same exact time. It has to be consistent across them. So do you have to have a certain temperament then, do you think, to, to do this kind of work? Yeah, you I can't get so. frustrated easily. Yeah, I, yeah. I've, I, 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 um, I've co- when I coach e-learning, it's pretty quickly apparent to me when I get somebody who just can't quite keep their cool when they start making mistakes or when they, you know, have to sit there and focus and do five, ten, fifteen pages of copy. And uh, if that continues, I usually have a conversation with that person about whether or not this is the best fit for them. Because if you're somebody who gets deeply, deeply personally upset when you make mistakes, um, look, I mean, Christy and I, I'm sure are both pretty mm-hmm. proficient readers, but we still screw up. I've oh, I, yeah. my, my editors, I, I, one, of, one of my editors does me the lovely favor every year of sending me a, a New Year's present of a reel of my outtakes from the previous year, um, which which include words that I can't say on, on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, so, so we all make mistakes. But yes. if you, if you don't get back on the horse and get over it quickly, it it will it will ruin you and e-learning. Can the editor yeah. CC me on that email as well? I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for those who are not daunted by this, uh, hearing about this process, who, how do you get started? What's the first process then for dipping your toe in the water for e-learning and industrials, uh, Christy? I would say, like almost every other genre, getting the training. Yeah. You know, getting under so you understand what the business is, um, because, again, it is different in some many respects than other, you know, voiceover genres. So getting the training and getting a really great demo, like everything else, those are the two main steps, because once you have those things, then it's the marketing aspect of stuff. So you, you have to. But marketing within voiceover, within e-learning voiceover is just a tad different because, again, you're mm-hmm. reaching out to businesses and there are other, you know, there's so many layers and each business is structured differently. You know, what could be considered the training department or the L&D department in one major corporation, it could be something titled completely differently. Or corporations have multiple uh, divisions underneath them that you might get in with one division but not the others and it's just you know so um, it it takes tenacity and understanding exactly how to break down things and and learning you have to learn about the e-learning business as well you really need to be invested in um, signing up for some of the groups and understanding you know how e-learning works because it is a totally different mindset than just you reach out to a creative director or an agency, you send your reel, they put you, you know, on their roster. It doesn't work that way all the time. It, it takes a while. It is a long game, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have patience. It is definitely a long game when you're trying to do this. And, you know, not trying to reach out to every single solitary company out there. I mean, you ha- it really is the Pareto principle of 80-20. You're probably going to send, you know, a ton of emails to people and only about 20% of those are going to stick. And don't worry, just keep those 20 and keep that 20% happy. Yeah. And don't keep, you know, yeah, you may have to replace one every now and then. But, you know, and it's nice to get new ones that just come to you. But you don't 
This isn't one of those big marketing things where it just is constant and, oh my gosh, I have to get on every roster known to man. Because if you did and they all came to you at once with all of their big, huge, enormous (laughs) learning projects, there's not enough of you to go around. I don't care how many editors you have, (laughs) you know? I just... But I think it's it's really um, learning what the business is and getting the right training and then getting a really good demo before you market yourself. It's, it's the most self-marketing heavy genre in many ways um, mm-hmm. in voiceover. And, you know, again, e-learning is very rarely cast through agents or traditional production companies or ad agencies. So you're talking about, you know, primarily self-marketing. Yeah, the online casting sites there, you can find some good clients through the reputable ones uh, and then website walk-ins. So if you SEO your website well and you can you can have actual search turning into work, um, which is a, a fairly substantial part of my strategy these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is this is a very, very self-marketing heavy part of the business. So mm-hmm. if that's daunting to you, it's it's one more thing that you may want to keep in mind. Uh, if you're a great self-marketer, if you're a, a self-starter um, and you're you're good with a effective and quick and uh, and precise pitch, um, it can be very effective. Mm hmm. So you're, you're working with uh, people who are fairly early on in this industry, J. Michael, and uh, producing their demos. You send them off with a brand spanking new e-learning demo and you're pointing them in a certain direction. What is it the first thing that they're doing? They're, they're attacking everything all at once or they're hitting Google and just going down the list and reaching out to people? Well, like Christy said, I mean, you, you don't want to you don't want to go overkill uh, on that at the beginning, especially with self-marketing. Mm-hmm. I, I really like when you do self-marketing of any kind, um, you know, even if it's uh, in, in the more traditional broadcast side of voiceover, if you're marketing to agents or production companies or ad agencies that um, I like you to have a little bit of a client list. So um, yeah. it's, it's tough if you're, you know, if you're marketing directly to a corporation to have them buy e-learning from you, be, be to hire you for e-learning directly, you know, who, who have you worked for in the past or what kind of experience do you have? And then you go, um, here's my demo. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good demo. Okay, great. Yeah. But, um, you know, what have you done? Uh, so what I would tell people who are just starting out to do is if you're going to market, if you've got a demo and if you're, if you're just brand new, um, market to the e-learning development companies, market mm-hmm. to the, the content creators uh, and try to get on those rocks. Rosters. Um, you know, again, you don't have to go crazy with it, but try and get on a fair number to begin with so that you can start getting what in many cases will be audition opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they'll book you directly, but uh, but you'll get audition opportunities as well. Um, and look, you know, you guys know I like the more reputable casting sites, uh, Voice123, VO Planet, Badalgo. Badalgo is a great resource for yes. e-learning mm-hmm. work. Um, Very. I booked some, some massive, massive contracts through Badalgo. Um, mm-hmm big name companies so uh you know look, look for the sites that we uh we all kind of uh think are working at least uh, either in our best interest or at least not against our best interest <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know and and um and i agree with all those three as well definitely yeah. what about cold calling are you cold calling people christy or have you done that in the past i've done it a couple of times um but i i don't do it as much it is a good opportunity but unfortunately for that Sometimes the people you're talking to, while they know they might hire voiceover every now and then, they're they just don't have quite the same mindset as, like, say, a creative director or you know an ad agency would. Um, I think cold calling can work, depending depending on how persuasive you are. But mm. I think email reaches businesses better. There just is something about reaching out via email or LinkedIn that really is the best way to go about it. Right. It just seems to well, be... It's how these people live their lives, it is. so it makes it sense. Is. Yeah, you, you have to go where they are. And, you know, th- while they may answer the phone, they, they probably just don't know because their first normal reaction is, the ones I've gotten sometimes, is, well, we don't have any projects right now or we're, we're, all, we're just in the development phase. We don't really have anything going on. And mm-hmm. so to them, they're like, yeah, that that's just it. It's like, well, I can't hire you right now, so they're done. And they don't think in the long term sometimes because they're so focused on, you know, client B for their client, you know, if they're a neat learning development company. Yeah. And they haven't gotten to that stage yet. And they have months to go sometimes. So they're not even thinking about it. And so they don't want to have to deal with that yet. Yeah. Um, it's just not kind of in their mindset a lot of times. And so they don't want to deal with you on the phone because they have too many other things to be doing. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, there are times when it does work. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
It just depends on if you pick up the phone at the right time. I've had more success with the timing luck with e- with um, emails and or a LinkedIn post or you know a LinkedIn message. Those have kind of hit people more uh, timely than a cold call has. Right. Oh, that's that's great. I can't imagine there are going to be too many people out there who are going to be crying into their pillow that they don't have to do cold calling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can try it. And if you're really good at it, go for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're if it's somewhere where you're comfortable, try it. See, yeah. see if it works for you. If it doesn't switch to another tactic, it's like anything, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Jay, Michael, I've I've heard you talk about this before, that there's a fair amount of e-learning corporate work out there. Um so could you give a sense of how competitive this genre is compared to other sides of the voiceover industry? I would say in general, it's less competitive. It's probably becoming more competitive because mm. loudmouths like me have been talking about it for a few years now. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, uh, Jay. Like, I got to shut up about this. Go away. Yeah, we're, we're actually not very We're not smart, helping right but, now. Uh, no, <laughs> I know. But, but, uh, it, but I, still, I still think there are less talent doing this um, and doing it well than there mm-hmm. are people pursuing commercial or animation or promo. Um, and part of the reason is because it really is not easy. You do have to have, you'd have to be a little bit of a special breed in terms of endurance, proficiency, and, and again, just competence and all of the things that go into doing this well, um, you know, to be able to stick with a client or even get hired in the first place. So I, I, I think it's a great time for people to be getting into e-learning as much as we may not want to tell you that. Well, we're going to tell you that anyway, but uh, it, it is because two things are happening. Number one is that the industry is growing rapidly. I did a webinar all, not that long ago, and I don't know exactly what the number is off the top of my head, but somewhere in the next five years, they were saying that the overall e-learning budget, the e-learning economy, um, annual spend uh, is going to be as much as the U.S. Department of Defense. $325 billion. I just just gave a presentation on this and it was, I just did the research and the latest number is $325 billion by 2023, I think. Wow. It's it's staggering. It's staggering. And everybody needs this stuff. Every company, you know, that has any kind of regulatory burden, any kind of of requirement to, uh, you know, to report to a government agency or to make sure that they are looking out for ethical issues um, or or compliance issues, whatever it may Mm -hmm. be they've got a responsibility to do this and you know a lot of people always ask why does e-learning pay so well compared to audiobooks and while we have nothing but the greatest respect for our colleagues who narrate audiobooks who are probably the hardest working people in voiceover the difference is that with e-learning if I do um, ethics training for Northrop Grumman okay and the effectiveness of my narration and that content prevents them from one lawsuit or prosecution that makes have saved the company a hundred million dollars you know if you do training for pepsi and you help create a 0.01 percent increase in in efficiency within the company you may have added 200 million dollars to their bottom line so this is serious stuff and and Mm -hmm. the the content creators and the end users for the most part we've all seen exceptions um but they they are willing to pay for quality and they're willing to source quality talent because at the end of the day um it can be the difference between a very substantially effective presentation and training or one that winds up not being worth the uh, you know the, the media that it's printed on. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it's, it all comes down to stakeholders and that can mean anything. Stakeholders, stakeholders have to see a result. You know, entertainment through audiobooks is wonderful. And again, you're right, J. Michael, hats off to people who can do audiobooks. But that's purchased when people want to be entertained. This is business, and it means business. And there are huge consequences to doing it right. Yeah. So that's that's Absolutely. the difference, and that's why the the rate is there. And 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 that's also a thing you can communicate to your client the value you bring to their end product because they've spent months on it and taken lots of man hours, and to just put an automated you know voice to it or someone who really isn't very good or to use someone in the company it's right. like really you're, you're spending all that time and you have such high stakes to not make sure that it, there's you know you extend the value to all of it including the audio is just crazy yeah and you can sometimes convince them of that and therefore they're like yeah sure we'll pay it don't even blink they move on you know, I'm yeah. a little distracted because Christy keeps talking about stakes and stakeholders. And <laughs> oh, <laughs> my stomach's rumbling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I've got one more uh, 
it's a sort of two-part question to ask you and and that is going to be what do you like best and least about this work but before we get there to give you a little bit of thinking time if i don't make this point i know melissa exelberth will kill me um <laughs> you can convert e-learning and corporate work like this fairly easily if you're union um and that can really contribute to your health and pension so mm-hmm. it's the kind of work yeah. that's nice and predictable to be able to convert to union so i just wanted to make that point before i, I get a angry email from us yes. <laughs> and, um, and, no, and we don't none of us want that no no no, no. exactly we, love X. we don't we don't want to mess <laughs> <with> <laughs> no but she but she does make a good point and it yeah. is something you know because you again because you're dealing business to business a large corporation or even just a smaller business their accounting firm is going to have no problem whatsoever, you know, paying yeah. your invoice through a paymaster. They're not going right. to blink twice. To them, it's just another invoice, yeah. and they just pay it. And so, therefore, they're not going to know the difference if you happen to be non-union or live in a right-to-work state, and you know, you you convert it to work, or you're trying to go union, whatever. There, you know, that this is the easiest kind of work to do that with right. if you if it's consistent and it's a large enough payday. Yeah, it's definitely and union rates, by the way, for this kind of work are staggeringly low. Right. Uh, and and I, I really encourage anybody out there, um, if you're looking to quote for e-learning, look at the GVAA rate guide. Do not look at the sag after scale for this because yeah. it just it's not in touch with with what we charge. Yeah. Um, but the, the the bright side of that is that it makes it very easy if you do want to convert the work to do so, because the vast majority of it will qualify. Yeah. Yes, it will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Christy, what is mm-hmm. your Least favorite and most favorite aspect of e-learning, corporate narration, that kind of thing. Least favorite, file splitting. Uh, most favorite, consistent, repeatable work. Yeah. Yeah. I can believe that. Yeah. Yeah. J. Michael? Least favorite, um, hours on end in the studio. Uh, <laughs> most favorite, mm-hmm. cashing the check. <laughs> yeah, can't argue with that. <laughs> well, that's a great way to end that section. We're going to get on to audience questions now, and we've got four here. Craig Williams asks, "How do you get past the gatekeepers to find out who runs a company's e-learning program? Who wants to uh, attack that one?" I've got some ideas on that. Yeah. Um, I will tell you, LinkedIn is your best friend with this. Hmm. Because if you find out what the company is, or if you've seen a post or something or other, you you just are curious, you can find out on LinkedIn, search under corporate titles and things, look under that company, find out who works there and find out what the, you know, what the company titles are, Mm. you know, searching their inner, searching their website, searching LinkedIn. And it's really, uh, and also, honestly, um, job postings through job sites like Monster.com and FlexJobs and um, ah. all those things. You know, when they're hiring, you can search under e-learning, and it'll tell you who's hiring. You know, somebody within the e-learning genre. You know, whether it's an e-learning designer, instructional designer, whatever they're going to be called, and you can find out who they report to. Then you go back to LinkedIn, put in that title with said company, right. and whoa, lo and behold, you found the person. Brilliant. That's yeah. Brilliant so technique. to me, that's not, you know, it, it, it can be insurmountable if you're just picking up the phone and calling sometimes. But a lot of times it's just who runs your, you know, your learning and development, your training uh, division. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll tell you, sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll just connect you um, and then you have to mm-hmm. leave a message and you may or may not ever hear. But, you know, again, go back to the go back to the Internet and search that information. And if you're talking, to, if you're actually cold calling and you're talking to reception, don't mm-hmm. go into nine kinds of I'm a voice actor mm-hmm. and I'm looking to blah, 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 blah. Just what no. Christy just said. Who does this? You know, yeah. Yeah. can you connect me? That's it. A little, a little bit of an air of, an, of authority and typically they'll just put you right through. Right. Exactly. Okay, that's great tips. Um, this question has got J. Michael written all over it. <laughs> Marisa, Blake, Marisa Blake wants to know, friend of the show, what makes a solid e-learning demo? Oh, you know, these days I think it's um, the scripting is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ability to have a diversity of content that is, unless you're unless you're doing something that's really targeted. If you want to have an e-learning demo that is, you know, specifically medical or specifically financial or whatever it may be, that mm. that can be a thing by itself. But if you're looking to appeal to a broad range of clients, um, what I typically like to do with an e-learning demo these days is we'll go with we'll go with one piece that's going to be irreverent and playful and amusing. Mm. 
um, one of my demo clients recently, we put a, a Facebook orientation video on his uh, e-learning demo, and it's what we led with. And it hmm. was it was over the top. It was snarky. It was funny. It was really millennial, really hip. He booked Facebook off of it. Oh, oh wow. awesome. Uh, so, you know, that that kind of a thing um, is is trending in the e-learning industry. It's it's not moving as rapidly towards the the conversational and hip as perhaps the rest of the VO industry is, but it's yeah. it's still moving slowly oh, but definitely. surely in that direction. Uh, and so having something that shows you can do that is important. I like to have then one very dry piece of corporate content on there, uh, you know, the, maybe a um, compliance training piece that demonstrates that you can handle um, more rigid reads that are a bit more formal. Um, some of the keys there are, are those um, articles and prepositions and connecting words. The twos need to be twos instead of tuz. The fours need to be fours and not furs, yours, not yours, and so on and so forth as mm. you're getting more formal. Um, I like to put a kid's piece on any learning demo uh, mm-hmm. because that market is growing. I like to put a gamified or interactive piece where you're in a pure dialogue uh, because that's growing. And then I, if, if the talent is, is capable, I like to put, I like a medical piece, a, a pretty in, in, intensely difficult medical piece, or if that's not their cup of tea, perhaps something very technical that has a similar feel that shows that you can handle complex terminology. I think those are important. Um, something with a dingle on. Those are kind of the five food groups for me. Yeah, just something that's you know got got eight 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 syllable words in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, and then of course I like you know as a demo producer I like to offer the opportunity for talent to have one version that has production behind it and one version that doesn't because I find that e learning clients. It's a it's a maybe 60-40 mix in favor of the dry tracks where they want the, the non-produced versions. But a lot of them these days, especially the companies that are hiring directly that aren't the e-learning content creators, um, do want to hear something that sounds a little bit more like a finished sample. And even if they're not going to ultimately put production on their audio, um, I always use the Linda from HR reference, but mm-hmm. Linda from HR sometimes find something with a little bit of production on it more impressive than something without even if the end product won't wind up wind up sounding that way yeah yeah they like the hollywood aspect of it you know they they like to be able to say hey we're gonna get this guy or we're gonna get this girl you know look how cool this sounds yeah but having both is definitely important or they play simon cowell for an afternoon by choosing who they (laughs) like and who they don't like right exactly (laughs) as a slight tangent here christy have stylistically has have things changed in terms of your delivery style would you say over the over the years Definitely. Um, yeah. Things are moving more towards conversational. I, mm. I mean, you know, that, that word has pervaded the, you know, is now into e-learning as well. I get that more and more because they want you, the biggest way to put this is you're no longer standing over someone's shoulder as they're at the computer learning and, you know, push this button and do this and here's what you're doing. Instead, it's more, hey, you know, Hey, bud, I'm going to sit next to you and, you know, we're going to do this together. And, you know, why don't you just push this button right here? Mm. It's more of a I'm sitting next to you showing you how to do it in a friendly manner instead of over your shoulder or standing in front of you wagging my finger. They've gone, you know, I mean, again, like J. Michael alluded to with a lot of the compliance stuff, especially when it comes to certain subjects, you do have to be a little more formal and a little more forceful. And these are the things you will not do because here's why you will not do them. But, you know, when it comes to almost everything else, it really is much more conversational in I am your colleague. I am your friend. We're going to go through this together. We all have a stake in it. And let's make the company better as a group. Because, you know, companies in general are moving towards, especially with the millennials, everybody wants to feel good about who they work for and what they're doing. And that's being reflected in the training. And a lot of it, especially when it comes to some of the gaming style they're starting to implement in the training, they want it to be fun and lively and more connected and a lot yeah. less, you know, rigid because, you know, the people people immediately think e-learning, oh, gosh, I have to sit for an hour and listen yeah. to someone drone on. Well, they're changing that in many ways, not just the voices. They're changing that in the styles of training, where you can do it on an iPad, sitting in a Starbucks between sales calls, on yeah. your iPhone and, you know, on the on the train to work, whatever. They're doing it in so many different ways that the voices are going along with that. So, yes, it has changed a lot. 
So it's probably worth people going and trying to find some of these courses to listen to something that's been produced in the last year, 18 months Mm -hmm. to get a sense. It will be a little harder just because they're not, you know, most of e-learning is not public facing. Right. You know, most of it is internal and it's proprietary. And that's the other thing to know about this business is there are serious NDAs for a reason. We are privy to so much internal corporate stuff that very few people get to know and especially a lot of managers, because you train a lot of management. And so, therefore, if you're training management, you can't share that. You can't use that. That's all information you have to keep to yourself. I mean, it's just, it's kind of almost like insider trading. You don't want to be caught. We don't get to brag about our email. No, we don't. Yeah, you get to say clients or, you know, a a home manufacturer or a hotel chain, but that's exactly where you stop, you know? (laughs) Right. So... You just can't brag about that. Especially if you're talking about sexual harassment training. Yeah. <laughs> can I, can yeah. I give you a funny story about Please. that? I, 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 one of my great failures um, as an e-learning narrator, uh, I was the voice for sexual harassment training for the U.S. Armed Services, Armed Forces for um, a few years. And um, the statistics did not bear out the effectiveness of my <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> no, sorry, they did not. <laughs> uh, 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 now, I, 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 I will say that I, I do believe part of that was that the direction was to read it somewhat like a drill sergeant. So when, you know, the narration is, you will not touch Private Johnson in an inappropriate oh, manner dear. or you will go to the stockade, you know, the effectiveness, we'll see. But uh, yeah, yeah that, 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 that was that's, that's one of my great claims to shame with e-learning is that, <laughs> that we, the, the numbers actually went up. I mean, that's not <laughs> directly your fault, but yeah, I see that. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay, a uh, couple of very quick questions because I know you guys have got to go because you're very busy. You've got a load of words to read. Um, Lisette Carafa, she wants to know, and we have touched on this a bit, but maybe we can just really uh, drill down on this point. What are the fundamental differences between book narration and e-learning? So audiobooks and e-learning, really. I mean, they're both long, (laughs) but other than that, (laughs) what are the differences? Um, I would say it, definitely for e-learning, it's split into separate files. They're all, it, you know, narr- book narration is is uh, to tell a story. It's to entertain. And e-learning is to educate and to, you know, change behavior. And also the way, you know, e-learning is split into millions of files. I mean, just tons and tons of files. Yeah. Where e-learning, I mean, where book narration is one long book that may be split into chapters, which could last for a very long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. To me, those are the quick, easy, fundamental differences. J. Michael, what do you want to say? Well, about I, that I think well? that the, maybe the biggest difference is that um, while e-learning today requires more acting chops than it may have 10 or 20 years ago, um, it's nothing mm-hmm. nearly compared to what the, the acting is required for an audiobook narrator. Absolutely. So um, yeah. very different animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, uh, Christy, you mentioned mm-hmm. Miriam earlier. Ripley Johnson wants to know, what are some of your favorite pronunciation websites? I prefer Merriam-Webster and finding things on YouTube. Uh, pronounceology is a good one. Um, pronounce names sometimes or, you know, how you say or how, how'd you say, I believe is. Right. But um, yeah. those are some of the ones that I use. J. Michael, do you have others that you use? I know. I think that, that that's pretty comprehensive. The Webster's are great. Um, yeah. The medical resource you mentioned mm-hmm. within that's fantastic. Oh, and, it is. And the how'd you, how'd you say or how'd, how'd you say. say, you know, if you're, if you have, if you have nothing, if you, if you don't have a more specific resource, that can be pretty effective. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Any, any final thoughts on this before we sign off? If you're, oh. if, if this is something that you're really interested in and you think that based upon all of the, the things that we've talked about today that, that you can play in, um, I would encourage you to do it because I've, I've really watched, uh, especially in the last five years or so, I've watched this e-learning in particular. I don't think we covered corporate and, and, and industrial quite as much as, as, uh, no. as e-learning today, but corporate and industrial also, you know, volume work, clients that come back frequently, pays pretty reasonable. Um, but e-learning in particular, I've seen people in the, in the past five years specifically, it's really changed their lives um, mm. and uh, has, has moved them into a new level of success in their voiceover careers because they found something they're good at that not that many people are, and that, that is pretty lucrative. So if this is something you feel like can be a passion for you and can be uh, a strength for you, go for it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, when it comes to corporate narration and industrials, that is something that you can do as well if you are transitioning 
that it's mm. a good transition point, I think, because it kind of gives you the flavor of how e-learning might be written and dealing with companies themselves. And sometimes you, if you're doing an industrial or a corporate narration for them, it can then springboard you into doing more of the e-learning and training because it's something you can mention to your clients. And it's also a good transition for people who are maybe, you know, commercial actors and go, going through agents and finding that connection for the work for an industrial or a corporate narration through an agent or through, you know, other sites and ways of doing things, you know, you can blossom that into e-learning. It's a good transition point. But you're right, we didn't talk a lot as, as much about corporate and industrials, but I think it's a it's a good middle ground. It's a, it's a great mm-hmm. place between kind of the typical commercial area of voiceover and into the strictly e-learning. Yeah. So it's a good middle ground to have both because then you get to play in both. If you really love e-learning, but then there's that, you know, you kind of want to be a little more salesy or kind of get more towards the commercial aspect of things. And there's the corporate, you know, corporate narration world that you can slot into. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's fantastic. I don't want to take up any more of your time. And I think, Jay Michael, you're you're about on the ragged edge of your voice falling apart. <laughs> well done for, for lasting this long. I appreciate you doing that when you're yes, ill. So you thank you. Oh, <laughs> so Christy Bowen, J. Michael Collins, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Pleasure to be here, Jamie. Okay, there we are. A load of information in that one. We went deep into that subject. I hope you were taking notes. A quick reminder that we'll be talking about this some more on our Zoom session next week. Keep an eye on our social media to find out exactly what time and day that is. And we have our Future of VO panel coming up in New York. That is on Sunday, 23rd of September at Opera America. And that'll do for now. That's enough for the plugging. So I'll just see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you to this week's guests, to Backstage Magazine and to Kyle Marie Colucci for social media support. A big thank you to our sponsors, J. Michael Collins Demos and IPDTL, and to you for listening. I'll see you next time.